Hi, I'm Aaron, and welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle Podcast, a podcast all about, well, you guessed it, hip hop. I will be interviewing artists and exploring the genre I love. My hope is that you will begin to love it as much as I do, if not more. Please like and subscribe and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for any upcoming podcast news. All right, let's get into it. All right, welcome to the Hip Hop Hustle podcast. I'm with a really fantastic artist today, Kyle Lucas. If you haven't heard of Kyle Lucas, you must be sleeping because Kyle's been in the game for a long time. Um, you know, originally got signed by Scotty Boy uh, from from what I saw from uh, the one and only Outcast. Has dropped albums after album. Um, I think you've been on a little bit of a hiatus recently. You dropped uh, New Disease. That's your most recent track. Um, and honestly, your first album in 2012. I was literally listening to that today. Uh, still, wow. still one of those albums that. The beats got me like every single one. I was like, okay, I don't know why it took me so long to find this this album. But um, <laughs> if you haven't checked out the catalog, um, really good stuff. Uh, the beats are fantastic. And also your flow, I was very, very pleasantly surprised, surprised by the fact that you just go hard for the bars. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. When it comes to hip hop, like in my opinion, you've actually got a really unique set of skills in the sense that you can really go for a melodic style and you can also go for, you know, rapidly rap. How did yeah. you develop those skills? Um, I just been rapping since I was in third grade. So uh, when it comes to the rapidly rap, like I'm a nerd for that. So that's like where my heart is. That's what I listen to. I'm like, uh, I'm like super nerdy with like multi-syllabic internal rhyme schemes also like uh and then all um just emotion and uh but i guess the more melodic singing stuff kind of came when i was started with in my band vonnegut and vonnegut was the one that we were signed to big boy from outcast uh purple ribbon and being around a lot of musicians kind of helped me write other songs because i was like strictly lyrical uh, super MC ish. And, uh, and it made me appreciate other types of music. It made me write other types of music. And so that's like kind of where the melodical stuff came into now. And I, um, I think I'm getting better at, it. I keep trying to, you know, to try to push the bar on how I sonically sound, but, um, like I'm an MC at heart though. So I, you know, even when I write songs for other bands or other singers, I still write them like they're about to rap the verse. So that's like a funny thing I've noticed throughout uh, falling back and writing for other people is that, oh, I still like think in MC structure, but it's kind of cool when it like comes off on some other genres. So do you ever get surprised by the delivery of other artists? Like you imagine, I'm sure you're how you would deliver these lines or how you would deliver the bars and then the artist delivers it in their own unique style. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, mainly though with, um, with singers. So like I could, uh, when, uh, I always said that uh, when, when me and Johnny Craig wrote, I still feel a part five, I like him singing, like having the voice of an angel and singing, I feel so jealous. He gets to wake up to you. That's gotta be so beautiful. Like, that's like a fucking, that's like one of the best lines I've ever written. I feel so jealous. He gets to wake up to you. That's gotta be so beautiful. But if I spit it, it would be lost in a 16 and, and like, there would be a chance that it wouldn't, 
even you'd have to go back, you know. And so hearing a singer sing lines that I initially would write for a rapper uh, or for me as an MC, um, I think it's I think it's better. I think it um, it takes the bar way like I wish I could sing, you know what I mean? Like I can't. But uh, but I I just realized once I kind of cracked the code of writing other genres that uh, the MC prowess in me still uh, holds weight. But it sounds like great when like people who have like incredible voices sing something. Then I'm like, oh, man, if I would have spit this normally, Kyle Lucas wise, it'd be like 90 bars and it would have been like one bar. But now it can become a chorus and then it can become a bridge. And that's the memorable part of the song. Well, do you think that's why people have historically struggled with hip hop is because the meaning behind the songs, if you're not used to it, you won't actually catch like the multisyllable rhymes. You won't catch the the meaning behind it you might catch a few words and then you miss it and that's probably why it struggled to get into the mainstream for a long time um i mean it only took like what run dmc came out 85 it became mainstream by like 95 so it took 10 years as kind of like great for like you know no offense to like dubstep or anything but like that kind of passed you don't hear that on the radio it's like kind of the last form of music that was a fad or a trend or for the kids and like fucking now sells more than like country. So that's like insane. I think, uh, I think once the average you, I mean, to catch like multi syllabic rhymes, like, or like Chino XL bars, Raskas bars, or like a uh, Feral Monch, uh, you got to kind of really like hip hop, I think. Um, and then there are great artists like the J. Coles and the Drakes that have like blended it. So it's like they, they kind of feed you the vitamin and the cupcake type bar. So maybe we will be easily, easily um, digested. I don't even know. Did that even answer your question? I have no idea. <laughs> I think so. I think so. That made sense to me. But because I, I think it's like a weird because it's different because I'm in Australia. So the right. went mainstream in the US very quickly and only in Australia is it starting to become mainstream. Right, so yeah, like, yeah. Like trap music is probably mainstream, but if I look back on like, you know, rapidly rap, that's still probably not as mainstream as personally I would like. Like I'm a rapidly rapper as, as in I'm a rapidly rap fan. I can't rap. Let me make that very clear. Um, I've tried to write rhymes. I've tried to write. And it was hard. <laughs> um, but I think like, yeah, for me, uh, Drake's, if you're reading this, it's too late. Um that like opened my mind to trap music. I was in that phase for ages. And I think you're right. Definitely blended, you know, the line between your traditional pop music and then your traditional hip hop into this like really cool, easy to digest. Uh, yeah. Drake's like a phenom, like a, he's like one in the generation artist. you know what I mean? So like he is the outlier of talent. So those come around. I mean, it's like, I feel like it was Kanye 808s and heartbreaks. And then, I mean, Drake, Drake is just like something that's not, I wouldn't bet my money on like there being another Drake, you know what I mean? For a long time. So that's a, we're witnessing someone that can blend those genres. Um, I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't know uh, how hip hop is hitting in Australia. Technically the only tour I did there was not really even a rap tour. I was just like the only rapper. Um, but uh, which kind of always, I'm always just like finding myself on like, I'm the only rapper on tours. Uh, but uh, I would imagine that, I mean, so if that first wave, or if you were saying like 
early 90s, you know, um, Illmatic, Wu-Tang era. In America, that was like when, when Biggie did Juicy and then Biggie did Hypnotize, that era, Mace, Puffy, uh, that's when it was like super mainstream here. So um, I'm assuming in Australia, if it was later to the game, it probably would be like Drake, right? That kind of like made it super mainstream. I yeah. Think. Yeah, like you know, you'd get the old Eminem track that would be on radio. Oh but yeah, like, he, yeah, yeah, he, like, yeah. Like, but even still, like the I think the difference, and I think I've said this before, but the difference is, I would when I, I've been to Hawaii, that's the only American state I've been to. But I remember going to like a, a store, just like a clothing shop, and they would be playing hip hop on the radio, or they would be playing hip hop in store. Whereas in was that wild to you? you? That was crazy. I was like, holy shit, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be here. But in Australia, that would never happen. They would only play pop music and they would. But now I'm starting to find they're paying trap music because mm. to me, that's like the quickest transition that I can see or the simplest way to, to phrase it is that, you know, I didn't see that growing up. I'm only seeing that now. And I think that's through TikTok. I think that's through like yeah, social yeah. media and you're starting to see all those yeah. kind of challenges come through. Definitely the internet leveled the playing field. So when I'm thinking about now that I'm thinking about it, I don't know why I didn't even factor that the internet leveled everyone's playing field. You know what I mean? It leveled dating. You know what I mean? It leveled every, like any, you know, any, it's just made it all equal game, equal area. And uh, yeah, I guess uh, for me, I mean, I I started uh, when I was like really obsessed with early Mace, uh, Puffy, Biggie, um, because that would be playing when I was in fifth or sixth grade, that would be playing on MTV. And they, I mean, the, the shiny suits, the fucking, the fisheye lens from Hype Williams, they look like superheroes, right? Like they, and they were fucking awesome. Can I cuss? I can cuss, right? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, right. uh, <laughs> they, I mean, they were like, especially for like a, a fourth grade or a third grade, like that, they were like, whoa, this is crazy. That, like that is a shiny ass suit and that's like kind of but that was mace's album was huge so uh puffy's album was like huge um i guess the internet would and so maybe it's just the um maybe it's the marriage of trap music being what kind of the kids are doing now like the kids are doing trap while the internet hit so you know if the internet would have hit when biggie dropped i'm sure it would have been the same thing right Oh, I can only imagine what Biggie would have been like on Instagram or Twitter or like, you know, TikTok. I kind of like that it's not, though. That's the thing is, like, I love that that is kind of like, I don't want to know what Tupac's eating for dinner. You know, like, I don't, it's like, uh, you got to kind of adapt now. You got to be engaged. and It's just how it is now. But I like having the idea that, damn, when, uh, when there was no YouTube and I like I remember racing home when certain videos hit from school. I, I live right behind my school and I could hit TRL and number one would be like at three thirty and then I would get one oh six and park. And most likely the number one song would cross right from BET to MTV because it's the biggest song in the country. So it's like I like that you kind of had you can't just YouTube anything back then. And I had to wait for the source every month and wait for the double XL. And like that was my only information into these artists life. And like I remember when the source printed an article about fucking cannabis. And I was like, all I hear are these like second generation dubbed DJ Clue freestyles. And everyone wanted to just hear it. And he was such like a, um, a, 
like a, a pioneer in the whole style. But then it was in the source and I got like a three page spread. I remember taking those to homeroom school and and every source or double XL I, I was I was obsessed with. But that was my only information into these people's lives. There was no Instagram or YouTube. So I kind of like that. It kind of hangs very uh, like the jerseys and the rafters. Like I kind of like that. It's just like this untouched time. It kind of feels very hip hop that that era of like, you know, really it just, was, there's yeah. just something about the grimy of like, you know, there's only one source. It's hard to find. It's difficult to get like, yeah. like, you know, when I was in school, you got to want to like it. You got to like seek it out. And when you sought it out when you were a hip hop head, I remember my father was always just saying you were just like walking around rapping. But I was like obsessed with like I would study the stuff inside and out. It was almost like a science project. And I like that. Uh, you didn't just stumble on hip hop. Maybe the MC Hammer shit. There's always the pop like kind of wave where it's like the casual fan heard can't touch this or whatever. But all the other stuff you had to like. You had to, I mean, and being in Atlanta, that was a whole different thing too. So it was like, you really needed to want to hear Core Mega. Like I had to want to hear AZ in the firm and like, uh, and it wasn't at Walmart next to Bruce Springsteen or some shit, you know? Uh, to be honest, half those albums are still not in like JB Hi-Fi in Australia. Like I've every now and again, it's called the urban list. And I'm like, come on guys, just, just have a hip hop section all together just so I can find a bit. When I was in school, I remember, I don't know if you remember LimeWire. Um, it was like the beginning of, of like, you know. Draft Napster. And, and that's how you would download music, but you would destroy your computer with viruses. Oh, God, it, it would be. <laughs> how many parents' home PCs got just fucked over because you wanted, like, the Slim Shady LP? Yeah, yeah. And, and literally how many people like... just downloaded so many, many viruses on their, like, their, I mean, I don't, we only had one computer, so, like, I remember all that. My parents were always like, why, why, why are you downloading this? Like my parents <laughs> still don't get hip hop. That's the, that's the weird thing is like, I love it. And I've loved it since I was like, since the get rich or die trying came out, that was like my entry into hip hop, but my parents oh, really? still don't get it. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of more of a, I mean, my mom's like my biggest supporter, but I don't think she's like bumping, you know, Tupac's greatest hits. Uh, <laughs> definitely like, you know what I mean? Appreciate it. It's just a generation thing. So how old are you? If, if, if that was 04, right? Get Richard, I try in 03, 04. 2003, yeah. So I was 27. Okay. Damn. Uh, 27 now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're 27. I'm 35. So I, I was graduating high school when Get Richard, Die Trying happened. But I, I do got to imagine that just the um, the accessibility to hip hop over there. I mean, the, are the records just so expensive? To be honest, you couldn't find them. Like, I literally wow. had no idea where to get them. And I just got lucky. I, I've made a couple of friends or one of my closest friends. We've been friends for like, I think it's over 10 years, 12 years or something. Um, he's really into hip hop as well. And we've got another friend who's really into hip hop. So we formed like a crew. We didn't go yeah. to the same, none of us went to the same school, but like no one at my school was listening to hip hop. They actually were like, turn that shit off. So like You're that like, was like, yeah, I was literally You're just. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were like the only like hip hop crew there. Legit. And, and they were like, man, you're white. So stop it. So yeah, no, like yeah. that was, but that was fine. It like, it was like my thing. Like I, I would just, yeah. put on my own and like my brother started to get into it a little bit um but i was gonna ask you actually because you were saying that you were like walking around like you know were you memorizing 
uh, verses and just like playing around with those verses or what were you doing as when you started getting into it? Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm just uh, reciting stuff. I do have like this, even my girlfriend said the other day, she was like, we saw one funny thing and I like verbatim just, we were like watching a stand up or something. And I like verbatim said it. And she brought up, she was like, I love that you can just hear it one time. And then just like the infliction. And I think, uh, I think that's why I like my transition from music to acting because as far as memorization, uh, I think at that kid, as a kid, I was just obsessed with, uh, with like, punchlines and witty lines so i'm sure i just couldn't get it out of my head it was almost like a like a tick or something um obsessively and my parents were always super supportive in third grade i said i'm gonna be a rapper and they were like all right yeah oh whatever make yourself happy you know and my mom's like i didn't even meet till i was 22 my dad uh he just passed away but my dad was a therapist oh thank you and then uh my dad was a therapist my mom's like a hippie we were vegetarian so it was almost just like express yourself we support you which i think was the best thing um, in the time from for when I was a kid, because I mean, I was like a white rapper when white rappers were not cool. And it was not a thing like it was not cool. And it was like it's not all these kids with like face tattoos and a SoundCloud page. It's like, you know, now it's like just like it's kind of accepted. Everyone's like kind of a rapper, but it was like not OK. But for my parents to be like, oh, yeah, that, that's a great idea. I was like, whoa, that's in retrospect at my age now i'm like man they really did support me because it i mean my neighbors or any of my friends or, i mean everyone i know was like trying we were in rap but they like became lawyers and doctors like you know grew up <laughs> yeah i love that you know being an artist is like you're still a kid even though it is a really hard job like it like it's like the People think that being an artist, you just rock up one day and then you just, you know, record your your album and then that's over and then you just relax for the rest of your life. And it's like, I feel like it's really underrated how difficult it is, especially because it's all you. Like, if you're not doing it, there's no one else to hold you Today's my off day and I have this podcast and I got another podcast and I'm like booking press on the days that are my off days from recording and getting my album together and then my whole other uh, uh, getting into TV and film and then just like creative it's like it's very filled so i I think honestly people would be disappointed when i mean the outliers are the jay-z's the billionaire right but that's like that's not there's a million other rappers so it's like once you become like a working artist where i make a good living but it's because i've written so many songs for me for other people and it all becomes part of my catalog but i think with the 15 20 years plus and then if you waged that out to like a working wage nobody would do it i don't think because it's like you're putting in so much work at below minimum wage actual results so you gotta really fucking love being an artist because the whole get rich quick there's only one there's only mac miller becoming big at 18 that's not that's not, that's like 98%, not everyone else. You know what I mean? That is the outlier. You can't base the average working artist. Like I would think myself, uh, I've just made a career of working. If you put all the shit on a spreadsheet, I don't think a lot of people would want to do it <laughs> like at all. 
Yeah, they see the end result. That's all they see. They see, they don't see where you started. They don't see, you know, how many times you're like, fuck this. Like this. I want to quit every fucking day. I want to quit every day. And I've always, like, I've gone through ups and downs. My whole career has been one step forward, seven steps back. So I'm gaining, I have a great, I make a great living now and I'm very um, blessed, but I've also like busted my ass for so long. So it's, and I, and I don't have Jay-Z money. So, you know what I mean? So it's like, I mean, who does? I mean, that's like, I mean, that's, but you know what I mean? That I don't think they see the likes on Instagram now and the, um, the videos and stuff. But when you're an independent artist, the glamour is like few and far between. All, they don't see the six years touring in a van, you know, that's not fun. <laughs> they, all they see is the tours that they, they see like the video from the tour. And like, to be fair, like, what are you going to show? Are you going to show you in a van, like, you know, being tired? Probably not. Like, that's that's yeah. also on the flip but side. But isn't that Instagram period? No one yeah. ever shows like that. And then, you know, it's fucked up is, like, when I see people do that, I'm just like, stop putting your problems on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, man, I got my own catch-22. Yeah, it's a catch-22. You can't <laughs> even win. <laughs> but, Jay, I mean, Jay-Z, he, he worked really hard. Like, he only, I mean, if you think about it, like, he's the outlier in the sense that, he is a mogul and he's a billionaire right. and he is the most successful out of anyone. You could probably argue Dr. Dre has done pretty well for himself as well. Um, right. But like those guys, they still worked for like 30 years to get to where they are right now. It's not like he dropped one album and that was the end. Like his first album was a classic. Yeah. But, you know, he still had to hustle hard and he. It was like 28 business. when Reasonable dropped out. Yeah, or 27 or something too it's like same with 50 i know m was like 28 29 so it's like they don't see the dre was younger but because of world-class wrecking crew and like nwa but the amount of times that they always skim over the years when you're still broke like when they say these biopics or these um behind the music episodes i remember watching the kid rock one with my with my dad and i remember saying uh you know, he got his first record deal at 18 and he got his second one at 22. But then they like uh, and I remember bringing this up when I was like in middle school or high school. And then so he got dropped from two record labels. So he didn't succeed. This wasn't successful. And then I remember Uncle Cracker and some other people around him were saying, yeah. But then for the next six years, it got kind of dark. He was working at like a car wash. He had a kid doing a lot of drugs, but they said that in 20 seconds. And then you come into Bob with the Bob, but I want to hear the six year of like, how the fuck do you even have that in you to keep doing that? And I want to know about going from a tour with too short. And then now you're working at the car wash. You know what I mean? Like they don't, they skim that shit over. They skim over the hard parts. Yeah. And how you get back from that. Like 50 cent was really similar. People only think of 50, after get rich or die trying but the reality was he actually was signed to a record label he was about to drop an album he got shot nine times they dropped him from the record label they didn't release the album because they were like no we don't want the heat so not only was he recovering from nine bullet wounds but he also got dropped from the record label and had to start from the beginning i know Um, and then coming off the success of how to rob because how to rob was big how to rob was after actually no Um, it was before after he got shot after he got yeah, shot. Yeah, it was How to Rob, wasn't it, before? That was with Trackmasters when he was on Columbia with JMJ. Because he said in his uh, book that it was after oh. he got shot, he released it to build up a bit of press because he wanted to 
to get like a few more people talking about him again. So that's why he just had a shot at everyone. I love that track, by the way. Um, I was thinking about the other day. I I mean, I know that one front and backwards, but wasn't, so he was on JMJ and so had, he hadn't been shot by the time he was on track masters Columbia for like power of a dollar. Wasn't, wasn't that then he got shot and dropped a Columbia, right? I believe so. Yeah. And then he dropped how to rob as a single, because he wanted to build up the press again. So, yeah, yeah, like, he's... I love love that song. That I mean, you know, it's crazy. I listened to the Mad Rapper's album the other day, and the Mad Rapper had Stir Crazy with Eminem and then Power of the Dollar on it. And then I was like, man, they had no idea they were about to be in business like 15 years later together, but they were on the same compilation. Yeah, it's crazy. And then uh, for him to find Eminem, and for Eminem to be like, we need to sign and Dr. Dre being no worries. Like it is crazy that it's sometimes it's the relationships you make that really it kicks off. It's your always career. the relationships in any industry I've learned in any industry. I didn't just want to act. I never thought, but it's the people that you meet along the way. I was having this conversation with uh, my friend who I grew up with here, but he was an actor and he was in that movie, Pineapple Express. He was one of the kids break dancing when they were selling them weed and then uh but but it's i was always like in any in any industry to stop it up my mom always said it's best your first job ain't your last you know what i mean like uh you you throw your net out there and you keep bringing people but if you are if you the relationships that i have to this day that proceed um very lucrative opportunities and then I have been friends with these people and have good working relationships for like 10, 15 years. It is not like, like, again, the overnight success, that, that easy thing. But I think people are looking at the tip of the iceberg and they're not realizing the whole iceberg of, well, I met this producer when I was 18. I still work with a lot of the people that I've known since 14, 15, like years old to this day. That's like 20 years. I was going to ask, how do you keep that mindset going? So, you know, obviously we talk about the reality of being an artist, the time period that it takes. To- no, everyone's going to watch this and be like, that was really depressing. I don't think it was like- <laughs> to be honest, just, like all the negative stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't be an artist. It's horrible. You live yeah. in a band a for a bit. Lawyer. Yeah. No, don't be a lawyer. I, I did a law degree and. Uh, oh, word. Did you complete yeah. it? Yeah, I did a commerce law double. And the more I did Whoa. my law degree, the more I realized I don't want to be a lawyer. It, it was it was rough. It was very rough. And then at, it, to the disappointment of my family and disappointment oh, of bet. everybody else. To be honest, my family was okay because my mom, she was like, are you sure you want to be a lawyer? It's not what it seems. It's not suits. Like it's not going to be fun. And then the more I did it, the more I realized she was right. People always said you could be a lawyer because you like to talk. And I was very argumentative at that time. So like, oh, yeah, I could see you being a lawyer. But it and really it is the case. Like the, uh, when it comes to lawyers, I mean, um, they didn't just like stumble on being snakes or scumbags. Like that's a very morally questioning. You think being a rapper is morally questioning, like being a lawyer and and just being like, like do the right thing but it's so such a gray area and do being do the right thing like you got to be okay with every aspect of you you know what i mean and be like if i'm gonna be i'm gonna lie then i'm gonna lie like i'm if i'm gonna commit perjury and tell my client to come you know what i mean like uh you gotta really have like you gotta know your gray area 
Well, it's weird because I had this conversation with my brother the other day and prepare for a bit of lawyer nerd talk, but this is what I learned. But in in the US, in Australia, in Canada, we have what's known as the adversarial system and it's where it's me versus you. So if you sued me, I'd have to fight you and my lawyer just represents me and we discredit you and vice versa. And right. in Europe... Uh, a lot of the countries have what's known as the inquisitorial system where the judge, instead of just hearing the case, he's like, he does research and you present evidence and he actually looks into everything. And so the lawyer doesn't actually represent you. He's an agent of the court and he presents all the facts without that bias. And so I was like, well, how would I feel being in that system and this system? And neither one sounds fantastic, to be honest. Like, it's, it's weird that if you sued me and then, you know, I screwed you over and the court was like, uh, but present all the evidence and you don't even get to say your piece. But then in the adversarial, it's like you can, if I pay my lawyers and they're very convincing, then we might win, even though I did the wrong thing. So that's, what, like, I'm saying. So, yeah. that's what I'm saying. If, if it's your job to just try to get out of something or argue enough, argue well enough to get out of it. And then we're like, that was a really good job. And you're like, yeah, I did a really good job, but you fucking lie. You know what I mean? But like you did a good job technically in the court, you did a great job. You won. But if you're okay with like going home and be like, man, I won my case today, baby. Oh yeah. So I got my, my murder client off. Like, I'm just like, they never like, ask. I mean, you never ask. You just don't ask if they did it. That's right. That's right. But you can't to- also tell me that this, like, they don't not know. Oh yeah. They, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, they know, but they don't know if that makes sense. Like, well, I mean, be like, Kyle, did you do it? That would never be a question. They're like, mate, I'm assuming you didn't do it. Don't tell me if you did. Don't tell me anything. Now let's figure out a way to cheat the system to get you off of some horrendous crime. You know, there's the weird thing is there are some wow. like, career cases. There's a career case. Like, it's weird. Like, so if you're a lawyer you can actually have a case that lasts 20 to 30 years and you get paid for that. And it's literally when a pharmaceutical company sues all a pharmaceutical company and there is no winner. They're just bleeding them dry. And so the lawyers just go, Oh mate, I actually don't need to work. Like I don't need to find any other clients because I'm just filing motions and just, Oh, it's insane. Yeah. I fucking no offense. I do not like lawyers. And uh, I know even being in there, I know you're saying you finish it, but you're not. But I'm saying the amount of the majority of them are friends with each other. And it's just like then they charge you four hundred dollars for email and it could be done in five minutes, but it takes a year and a half because I know that's what you're doing on purpose. And my whole I hate incompetence. So like, yes, means yes to me and no means no to me. Not this whole roundabout way that becomes up in this text calls and then the emails with the and then we finally get it solved but it's 10 grand later like i didn't know that's why you couldn't get it solved in like one email but i get the game that's what i'm saying i get it like i get it but it is like also i kind of want to just be like just be honest with me just be honest you're gonna stretch this for a long time it's also so complicated like it's not like you and i can sit down and go oh this all makes sense like it's it's impossible to understand like the language doesn't make sense well that's why that's why you go to law school, right? Like that is the thing that it's not coupons. They're not giving it away to understand it. You have to uh, pay for someone to understand it for you. And they're almost like too smart. Like the judges and the lawyers, they're like at that level where it's like a little bit too smart for me. Like, okay, calm down with your 
with your big brains and just just uh, speak in English just for a little bit. Now that I think about it, I wonder how how come so many. Well, I guess it's because they make oh like they make good money, but uh, I bet like if lawyers tried to be actors, they would be really good. Yeah, barristers maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I think they, you know, just, if a lawyer just became an actor, just the idea of acting, and it is so hard and to be an actor, but I feel like lawyers are always acting. So uh, they would yeah. be great <laughs> at transitioning into like movie guys because they're like, I've been lying to people my whole fuck. I'm, I'm pretending to be someone else this whole time. Of course I'd be a great actor. But they'd be typecast. He's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> the one dude that they'd be playing for 20 years. But how did you transition into acting? Like what was your move from music into going down that path um i just uh it goes back to relationships and it goes back to i said yes with the intention of saying no like i um talked to my manager my man so um there's this group uh called danny d kane that was puffy's making the band they were like a girl pop group and one of the members during the whole p diddy making the band mtv thing of danny d kane they had a couple big songs in like oh two oh three it was when the reality show band you know thing was like really popping um and uh d woods lives in atlanta is from atlanta and she is a musical uh theater person and she does acting and she grew up in theater and they needed a role for this big hip-hop musical in atlanta and they needed like a legitimate white rapper like a legitimate white rapper, not just like um, someone who does music theater and they needed someone like the opposite. And so uh, she, she's the one who put me into the the conversation. And then, um, then I talked to the director and he was in that movie, American gangster. And he called me and he was just like, Hey, like I've watched a couple of your videos. I don't really need to see anything less. You should have been acting a long time ago, but I can teach. So we're doing this big music, this hip hop musical in Atlanta and it was sold out. It was on the news. It was this whole thing. And it was my first way into acting, but live acting, I've been going on tour forever. So live performance, if you break it down, it wasn't that much different because I did have a lot of dialogue though. And I was a principal character. And so, you know, I had to make out with a girl on stage, pull guns on people, do some really dramatic ass shit with very, seasoned thespians like these people were incredible actors and i just did it every day we we had rehearsals every day for 10 hours for three weeks leading up to this big sold out performance and uh, i remember week two it clicked and i under i just kind of got the concept of acting It was very hard but um so i i did that and i did really well really i was like a, the principal character i was like the villain and i did really well and i really enjoyed it and i didn't think i would ever enjoy it i didn't i don't even know if we had drama at my school like i just never ever thought i would do that and then just then it just kept going i'm still cool with the guy who wrote that play and then we it's just relationships and then i started uh then taking a lot of acting classes like a lot of acting class. I really wanted to do it. Also hit right when my like writer's block was happening and I kind of fell out with music for a little bit. And I was like, well, I really enjoy it like, as a creative outlet. And uh, and I happened to be kind of good at it. And so that turned into everything else. And then I just kept uh, really working at it. So it was to, to the, I say all that to say, to, to, start, to start acting was through D Woods. I will 100% credit her for putting my name out there. And then- me doing that uh hip-hop musical so theater really 
how was it during that first week? You said second week it clicked, but I can only imagine how weird it would have felt. I just kept thinking I'm making a mistake. And I'm like, whoa, I should have said no. Why did I do this? I get offered shit all the time. And I'm just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Which really means no, 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 no. My manager will call you and I got a tour or a show or a video or we can make anything up. <laughs> and uh, uh, he might be a lawyer. And then uh, <laughs> uh, uh, it was nerve wracking. It was so stressful because everyone grew up being music theater kids, like music theater. And the one thing I knew about, I realized is that those kids are flaw- uh, fearless. They don't give a fuck. If they say something blah, weird in the middle of class or something weird, that ability, basically it took two weeks to peel back my ego of, I got to look cool. I got to like, how am I, how's my shirt look? You know, we realize we all do that way more than we think we do. Walk into a store, you or I got to uh, just that, but just doing that, is setting the ego that you're caring about what someone else thinks. So basically it was two weeks of me pulling back 30 or I was like 30. So 29, 30 years of always trying to make sure I looked okay. I was cool. I didn't. And then that comes from the other stuff of being a white rapper when it was. So I had to try extra hard not to be. So basically my ego, the callus on my ego was so thick that it was, uh, it was very tedious on me not caring. And then also trusting myself, like also trusting myself. I'm sure my, you know, I'm, I've learned so much more since then. I'm sure. But the kicker was after people were like, um, you, uh, well, I got one story too. They never told me that in theater, if you did a really good job as the villain, they boo you when you come and walk out at the end. <laughs> Hi, oh, I, I didn't know I was that like, either. Fuck you. I was just like, I just like, so on the first date, sold out, I was all over the news, and blah, blah, blah. All the other principals are cheering. And then as soon as I walk out, they just start booing me. But that's like a theater way of saying, you did great as the bad guy. We hated you. You did great. No one ever put that in context <laughs> to me. So to kick it off, I've been doing this for three weeks. And then on the, I'm finally over the nerves. And we had two shows a night. So I'm on the first one, and I'm just like, holy fuck. I definitely made the wrong decision. I guess I suck. But then everyone, and then the kicker after that, too, is when I'm meeting agents and meeting other actors, managers, and family, or just after, uh, the best part was um, them coming and saying, like, dude, you, we hated you. You did such a really good job. We hated you. But have you ever thought about rapping? Cause you were really good on the songs and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> oh, you just think I'm, you think I'm an actor? Oh, that's crazy. I was like, I must mean that really did good. <laughs> <laughs> did you find that? Cause I did a bit of theater and drama in high school. So like, I always liked that side of it, but I always felt for me, I was always nervous, no matter how well I knew my lines, no matter how well yeah. I prepared the only time that I would stop being nervous is when I started. And yeah. as soon as I start, then it's all gone. Well, that's, but, but that's live performing for me. So the good part was coming into a hip hop musical where I have like a huge battle scene at the end with the other main character. I have a perform a song at first. My introduction is this huge, like drawn out big thing, you know, and there's like 
19,000 people there singing backups and it's like some big like gothic so but that's just performing and so i do uh but i've done nine billion horrible shows leading up to there so the i just have got i used to throw up before every show i used to throw up before every show but i mean it's the same advice i give anybody who asks me about performing live if you're a band or if you're an mc or if you're whatever there's kind of no cheat code it's like you just got to do a million shitty shows and it's going to all suck. And then you just got to do it. And you got to play for just the bartenders on shows you're on tour and you, you just got to, um, I was just as nervous when I did. I remember saying this when I did, we, when I did David Letterman night show, then I did Lollapalooza for like 30,000 people. But then I did a show in Bumblefuck, Mississippi. And it was just like the bartender. And I get nervous the same every time. So it's almost just like embracing your nerve. And when Sammy Davis Jr., I heard a quote saying, he's like, if you don't get nervous anymore, that means you don't care. I'm like, oh, okay, everyone does. Then I'm fine. I'm not like a, a freak because everyone else looks so cool up there and they look like they got it all together. But everyone's nervous. And then it was basically just, then I just stopped throwing up for every show, which was nice because that's like, you know, taxing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your vomit free streak is zero like it's still, it's just, it's still happening i haven't thrown up since man <laughs> literally sammy davis jr uh stole my line but i was going to say that literally that's how i knew i cared that i if i was nervous i knew i cared and if i wasn't yeah. nervous then i was like oh you better get nervous because this is important and you gotta you know check in with yourself to be like and right. to be honest that fear and that nervousness, it almost brings the best out of you. Like it may bring the worst out of you, but eventually because it's like you get that practice and you fucked up enough to know that you can yep. get through it. Um, it just makes you you're feel not, like- I used to tell bands, you're not going to be good. Just uh, You're a great band, but you've just only played in your basement or your garage. You have to become so comfortable. And this is like a paradox for someone's mind because it's like a way to, how do you tell someone, hey, There'll be a bunch of people and, you know, they do it with like, you know, podiums and stages. They put it six feet up. So everyone's looking up at you. They do it on purpose. So everyone's just like looking up at you and then be really cool with everything going wrong because it all will go wrong. So how do you tell someone to do that in live real time? There's no redos. There's no work. Go again. Cut next like line. There's none of that shit. Like it is. And then to find solace on stage when everything's going wrong so I can freestyle like a motherfucker. I, there's not one show gone by that I hadn't forgotten one of my verses or hadn't seen something or the sound goes out. Or the when I did Lollapalooza, I think there's a video on YouTube. I couldn't hear anything. And the whole band's playing and there's thousands and thousands of people there. And it was good because I just jumped in the crowd and everyone thought it was planned and everything thought it was. And then the, the security brought me back. And then by the time I got back, my monitor was working and then I played it off. But you got to do 9,000 million shows to not go up there on Lollapalooza and technical difficulties are almost always going to happen. It's how you roll with it. And uh, and the guitar player in my band, I remember him saying, you kind of just got to like act like you're supposed to be up here. And when you act like you're supposed to be up here, people just really believe it. They're like, oh, he's supposed to be up there. So it's like this fake false confidence, but it fucking works. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you don't believe it, no one else will. That's the weird thing is that like if if you don't feel like you belong there, then everybody else will be like. Not even if you don't feel because you won't feel like you belong there, but you just pretend you do. And it kind of falls in suit. And everyone's like, he's really good up there. He's supposed to be up there. Do you know what it's like? I remember the first time I went to like a really fancy restaurant. 
And I was like, this is too fancy for me. Yeah, I remember yeah. my girlfriend at the time, she's like, you got to relax. Like, you just got to pretend like, like out of your comfort zone. Yeah. I was just like, I was wearing a shirt and I'm like, this is, it was like a high tea. We were in Scotland and for her birthday, I got like a high tea or whatever. And I was like, this is not my, this is like not my vibe. But she was like, you just got to pretend like I, a tea was $5. Like, I don't know why I'm spending $5 on tea, but you know, whatever. Uh, but, but I feel like it's similar. Like you just got to exactly embrace like it. It's like the insecurities that you're feeling there. It's the same thing. That's like normal. Like, and my look, I don't feel, and that's why I think fashion is so important. And because there is something to be said about when you feel like you look good, you act differently. And I've just, I've like really, after I've just been seeing some, I've been like two and a half years of therapy. And so it's like made me so uber sense self-aware. I can like understand where that's coming from. And then I, un, once I unpack it and unlayer it and I'm like, Oh, I am extremely insecure, but, uh, that's why I feel this way. And then that's why the tricks of like fashion, like that's why black leather jackets never go out of style, man. You have a black leather jacket. You're fucking, you just feel, and it does change how you talk to people. Not even like it changes you in person, but maybe it just takes away the anxiety because you feel like you're supposed to be there or you feel good. Once you feel confident, then just even the way you, it's like a tint. It's not, it turns you into a superhero, but it's like a tent on how you'll respond to people, but then that'll lead to this. And then that'll lead to that part of the, you know what I mean? Like, you're not just like sweating the whole time. I've got this black trench coat. Like it's a long trench coat and I can like wave it around. It makes me feel like a superhero. So like when I there you go, around, man. You feel like I'm Neo. Exactly the same. Um, and I did the same thing when I used to be in sales. I used to be on the phone selling um, and I used to wear a suit to work because it made me feel like I was meant to be there and I'm going to perform today. Like I had Damn, to dress. Damn, you've got a bunch of jobs, huh? A bunch of, bunch of past. Like your first job's not your last, right? No, For it's real. not. That's that's how I started my career selling at, at a bank. I was selling credit cards, personal loans, home loans. And let me, let me, I was good, but it's not, I don't like, I didn't like it. Like I just. And then um, they got it when they don't start defaulting and then you got to like. I never saw that, to be honest. Oh. I never saw any of that. Well, that's good then. And that's good. Because you know it's churn and burn. That's that's the that's the mantra. It's like you sell it, and then next one you got to keep next selling. One. But um, hey, to be honest, it taught me how to speak to people. It taught me so important. Yeah, so oh. important. Like it, it was like a real lesson on tea because I would sell all over Australia, so to everybody. So I would sell to the farthest corners from different people, different backgrounds, and you just figure out how to actually communicate rather than just with you know, the people in your circle. So it was, a, it's a real blessing. I think, you know, that sales experience of just talking to people is just the most, I mean, yeah, literally right now, man. I mean, being able to have a conversation is such an underspoken, um, cause then I realize how many people are really bad at it and it causes them anxiety to talk to people and it causes them anxiety, especially now a bunch of my friends have kids and stuff. And, um, and just like, Whoa, this whole text internet kids that grew up, uh, they lack the actual human interaction. Like I can talk to, I can charm things off a of cotton mouth. Like I'm like, like, like I, I feel like I would be a great salesman, but it's like, I can, but that's only human interaction. Now people are just only texting and only involved in that. I feel it's removing a very, very important part of no matter what career you do, no matter. I honestly think that's probably the most, they should teach that way more public speaking, but like not just one, uh, general ed class you got i feel like if they did that once a year for people 
that would be super, super beneficial across the board, across the field profession. Doesn't matter. Just being able to talk to a complete stranger, but, you know, being able to have that conversation, I realize how much people have complete anxiety of even, I mean, that would Seinfeld always had that bit. What do you say? Public speaking is the number one sphere. Yeah. Literally, I, I watched that Seinfeld episode yesterday. That means you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but that's real. Isn't that real? I feel like um, obviously being a salesman is the epitome of speaking like that. But even just like talking to people in the office, no matter what you do, talking to people and then just being courteous and like, you know, they we have Southern hospitality and that's like a thing in Atlanta, but that in Georgia, in the South, but that's for real here in America, because I don't know how to not hold a door for someone, for a stranger. I don't know how to not say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, to a stranger, uh, to yes, sir, no. And it's just like that little tint, like kind of makes, I feel, well, I mean, they have a term, Southern hospitality. I think that is, you know, something to be said. And I think, but I think you can work on that. Like you don't need to take- Oh, no, 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 no. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah. The, the, the cool thing is about speaking is like, the thing that I do and I try to make sure is like, no matter where I am, if I'm at a bar or if I'm at a restaurant or um, at a cafe, whatever, I always try and have a little bit of a, you know, small conversation with whoever's serving me. It makes sure that you know how to communicate with that person. And number one, number two, it probably makes their day, makes them feel way better that they've got someone who's actually like, I actually want to talk to you as opposed to like, just give me my coffee. They're definitely not spilling your food. Hey, I think it's just, you just got to be willing to do it. Like you just got to be willing to, try, and it's uncomfortable. Like the first podcast I ever did was a horror show. If, if anyone wants to go back and listen to that, I was- I'm going to check it out now. Yeah. Oh, mate. It was it was real bad. <laughs> it was with Don Elway and, and you know, it was the very first one and he was good and I just didn't know what the hell I was doing or talking about. And so, you know, you just got to go for it. Like, and that was, and I broadcast that shit. That's out there. That's for people to listen to. So, you know, try- I mean, we all got growing pains, you know what I mean? We all have like growing pains, but it's, ne- it's, it's necessary. You're not just like phenomenal. There's only like, or those are the outliers who just are phenomenal, but the average person has to work at everything. But all it is, is just keep going. I mean, that whole, once you get up, fall off a horse, get up, back up. I mean, obviously that's dated and it's really old, but it's not, the concept's not that dated. Well, there's no such thing as failure. Failure is quitting. That's yeah, where the, it's like sure. you make mistakes. Success, for sure. Success and failure is very subjective. It's very like, it's, it's all, it's all whoever's viewing that. I would hundred percent agree with that. It's, it's almost like the, if you fail, who cares? Like, you know, if you make a mistake, who cares? Like just that it's gone. That, that takes the time to be, again, the ego, the self, the criticism, the like, it's the same thing on, Hey, every show is going to go really bad. Are we going to be able to try to dig out of every hole? Okay, cool. Let's and have fun while doing it. Okay. But it just takes, it takes that, you know, it just takes so much um, work, but you know, it's just like, uh, what did uh, I remember Buckshot or Sean Price or someone had a line where he goes, everyone wants to get big overnight uh, thinking uh, like lifting weights is having a mixtape. You want to get big overnight or something like that. Like, and that's true. You can't just, I'm going to go to the gym one day and be jacked or I'm going to put out one mixtape and be great. It's, it's repetition. Not going to lie. I have gone to the gym before and done abs and I'm like, where are they? What happened? Where the hell are they? Yeah, but you're, that is also the one part 
of the body that I mean, you could. I mean, it is so hard to get abs. It is so hard to get abs. Everyone know generally knows that abs takes like you have. I mean, diet and then on top of just like uh, and also it doesn't like the worst part of working out. I like hate doing abs. I hate. How do it. I? <laughs> and and I carry my weight in my midsection anyway. So my legs will look fantastic, my chest, my arms, and I will still have a belly. And I'm like, God yeah. damn it. Like, can it be a little bit of the opposite? Just embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you because we've talked a lot about like, you know, acting and, and heading down that path. Where is music for you right now? Because you, you, you released new diseases recently, but what is, where is singing and, and rapping on that front? Um, uh, I, so I have, so many songs and then um actually i just this uh yesterday i got the first mix of my first single back but i'm gonna release the ep it's gonna be like five or six songs um that i've been just getting mixed and engineers are putting their mixes on my vocals are finally done as of last week i did all my vocals that i needed to do for this project i don't have a title um so then it becomes a process of building out the release plan, the rollout plan, the videos, the content. But I, you know, I just gone through so much turmoil the past couple of years, losing my father. Uh, I mean, just so much personal stuff. And I don't really want to touch on all of it, but like on top of kind of being burnt out, like kind of being burnt out. I've just been doing this for so long and it's just uh, at times it gets extremely exhausting. And then I found myself writing less and less. And then I found the love of it kind of like, it's definitely a job. Once it becomes kind of a, definitely a job, there's the great part of like, yeah, I get to do what I grew up loving to do, but now I get to do it as a job. But at the same sentence, now it's your job. So it's like, it's like talk about a double entendre. That is literally double side of a sword. Once it became that uh, the past couple of years and, and then on top of my family issues, and then I'm finally in a place now that these songs are finally going to see the light of day. I'm getting great mixes back on them. I've, I went through some issues with getting the single mixed and just a lot of behind the scenes things. And uh, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. So I won't like say any names, but like there's a lot of behind the scene things that on top of my exhaustion, it just makes me like, man, fuck this. You know what I mean? Like, it, it became so hard to do music. And then uh, on top of, I still love it. So it's this, it is like a, it's like a toxic relationship with a girl almost. I hate it and I love it. And I can't think of myself doing anything else. Acting was, I was so shocked that that was even a thing. But um, I started taking kind of control back from my career and I, I started learning how to do my own sessions. I never cared. And I just was very lucky to be in Atlanta and got a million producers where I can just pull up for free and record my whole life. And then when I moved to Austin, Texas, I didn't really have anyone. And I just kind of just took responsibility of my shortcomings and then started finding the love again. And uh, I started writing a, um, like a kid's cartoon. And then on the kid's cartoon, I was, I'm doing all the music. And I kind of used that as my uh practice from running my own sessions and editing and then it got really good and then now like me and my friend Isaiah who I grew up with who's um who's a writer at that show Blackish we've been like now we've been we're pitching it so we're gonna probably settle on a network within the next couple months and now I'm finding myself into 
the music i'm voicing the character but i'm doing all the music as well and so it's like i'm marrying married uh marrying this love of rhyming because i just can't i love like i said i'm a nerd for this shit too so i don't not ever battle rap my girlfriend every time she's cooking dinner like you know what i mean like and she's gotten she's dated me for like three or four years now she's sure she's gonna see this and be like it's four years motherfucker you know but uh don't uh, worry i won't tell her like she's a great rapper now because we rap so much and we're just and i'm always trying to think of i'm re basically saying all that to say i'm refining my love for like how i did when i was a kid you know like obsessed with like how do i make a triple entendre right now with like these things like so like that's like the fucking holy grail right and then i'm just we're, we're both i'm just like finding uh my i'm finding my love again for language in the hip-hop space basically so I say all that to say I got an EP coming out. It's all being mixed. Um, we're going to figure out. I don't even have a title yet. So if you guys are watching this, hit us back. And I don't know, give me some suggestions. But it's going to be my third retail-ready, third effort, solo-wise, you know what I mean, uh, project. So it's coming. It's all The best thing, though, is that this has been like two-ish years in the making. I have the biggest weight of the world off of all my vocals are done. So that's like a great, I don't have to like spend a week on a verse trying to re make it, you know, like really push myself is very exhausting. So now I'm just worrying about mixing. I'll figure out videos and the whole thing that comes with that. I was going to ask, how are you with your own verses? Are you like very critical of them? Like you you record them and then you listen and you're like, no, I can't. That's not good enough. Yeah. I'm actually finally not being my worst enemy. And that was, it goes hand in hand with my writer's block. It goes hand. Well, I mean, actually writer's block, if you broke it down is just your inner critic speaking too soon. Like you're afraid to failure. And then, and so I am extremely critical. Now I realize I put in my Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours recording. So now I'm trusting myself, but it's learning just like the acting. It teaches you humility and trust yourself, but I'm learning to say, you know, this second take is fire. I could spend another hour, but with that hour doing the same 16 bars or doing is going to come hating yourself again, coming re frustrating, going to go, fuck this. I'm going to the bar, you know, and it's like unproduct. It's, it's very counterproductive. And now I'm realizing to just trust myself. So all the stuff like counter, like the new disease, I listened to it a couple of days ago, my bars and with a critical ear of like, if Pharaoh Mont wrapped this right now, and I'm like, oh, there are some like, there's, I sound great. And then like, I feel, I sound like I know what I'm doing, but I recorded that session. And basically it's like a painting's not done till the painter walks away. I'm learning to walk away and trust that I put in my fucking work. And that's like, a, it seems so simple. If you're, if you listening to that, it sounds like, well, duh. But that alone is like, is like a big deal for me because I, hence why none of the billion songs I have have come out. Hence like, and that begets other self-criticism. So I'm very critical, but I'm finally learning to just accept that I'm good at what I do and just be happy. <laughs> yeah. I see. I feel like I see, you, I can only imagine how much worse it is being an artist and doing that. Cause I'm like that with the podcast, but the difference is that, you know, because we're just talking, I don't have to listen to how my, the way I speak matches with music and how the flow comes out. Like all I have to do is make sure that the audio sounds good and cut out any of the like little things like in the background, that's it. And like when I record intros, 
I'm like that. I'm like, fuck, I need to hit that harder. Or that word didn't come out as well. And like, no one will notice, but I'm like that critical of it that, and it just got to the point where I was like, just do it. And no one will be like, I reckon he could have hit the D on that, that word harder. Like no one thinks like that. No one thinks like that. Yeah. The stuff that, that, like the stuff that I talk about with like my other artist friends, the stuff that I like lose sleep over that literally is just so exhausting. It's just like, so are we going to like master the record or the EQs? And then and the other day I remember talking to Kalechi and he's mixing two songs and we are talking and I was like, I was like, so like, Oh, what are you doing with like the mastering tracks? Since I'm getting like a bunch of other engineers mixing different songs, I got to make sure it's mastered all together and it sounds cohesive, the five, six songs, but it's not the same person doing it all. But then I'm like, he was like, yo, uh, I use, blah 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 and lander this whole thing but i was like i just want to make sure if it's on a spotify playlist or something it can go into someone else's mix and sound good and blah and i'm like yeah you've never heard like some girl saying well the master on this really sucks so i don't like this song (laughs) you know what i mean yeah yeah well i think the mid tones on his eq is wrong i don't want to listen to it you know what i mean but in our head we're like if i don't get the eqs exactly right and I'm the worst person on the planet, you know, and yeah. like no oh, one's going to like me. It's never happened. That <laughs> vocal sample, that vocal sample, yeah. it's way too high pitched. I reckon it would have been yeah. way better with the, like a mid-tone vocal sample. Like, yeah. yeah, no one speaks like that. No one even pays attention to those minute details that keep me up for like a week. You know what I mean? <laughs> on like one part. <laughs> but I feel like you would have those, you would pay attention to those details on other people's tracks, like tracks that you love. You're like, damn, I love those drums. Like those hard hitting drums yeah. on that track is perfect. Well, I'm like- too in the know now. Like I'm too, like, I love college dropout, but I can hear all the punches and I'm like, it drives me crazy because nobody raps all the way through. Everyone punches like people do four bars, mainly four bars, punch, blah, blah, blah. But we know how to blend them. But when you're hearing like, and then rapping over really fast and you're hearing those little minute details, I've brought that up to people before. And they're like, Oh shit, I never noticed that. And I'm like, I can't listen to this song pun as much as I love pun. I was literally going to bring a big pun. It was before, it was before digital recording was very acceptable or accessible and then before uh anyone's really it was on reels and dats and i I mean i can hear all that shit the first gym class heroes album all of travis bars are punched and and it's just like no one tried to blend them almost to to be honest though big pun is in my top five of all time because my top five too absolutely underrated as prospect just yesterday prospect from terror squad just followed me on instagram and i was like freaking out oh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like the biggest terrorist go out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I love that's almost like who he is that just that breath it's it's gross like it's actually gross to listen to I remember my girlfriend at the time I showed her and I was like you haven't noticed but listen to the way he breathes and she was like I can't listen to this anymore I can't I it's, like, it's like but- yeah you show the wizard behind the curtain and you told <laughs> yeah. her though I always said um it's funny because I've had this exact same conversation like two months ago in the studio and I was telling Faye and Kalechi and I was like, but he did do the dead in the middle of little, literally, little did we know we riddle do middle men who didn't do diddly and that no punches in that. So I was like props on that, you know, because back then and that is like really fucking hard to do, especially in 90, what that was twins, 97 so deep cover. So it was like that was like really hard to do. 
but then the other ones and and especially like the endangered species project you could tell they were kind of just like fat he was they were just managed they were just kind of stringing together the last couple demos he had and trying to make like actual you know records out of it which is uh it's always um it's like i appreciate it but his health uh, just got in the way he just got way too unhealthy he i think he died at like 598 pounds or something ridiculous he was really unhealthy um but yeah i mean you know also fat joe we're at it r.i.p big pun he is like his top tier lyricism oh it's it's unreal i think he's definitely underrated like i don't hear enough people talking about big pun but you know um fat joe as well in that project you know arguably in twins part two he's almost better like if you listen to the actual lyrics that fat joe spits it's actually unreal oh oh, it was it's crazy i know that's a controversial opinion but um yeah that i think fat joe was at his best with big pun they almost brought the best out of each other and then now fat joe's kind of mellowed he's less gangster to and big pun was just a legit gangster like he loved guns i mean fat joe is just uh it's like he's aging so well in hip hop, and I love seeing that. Black Thought ages so well. Royce Five Nine, I love it. Inspires me because they're another generation, you know. And it's also like, so hip hop now is that. Hence, me doing a hip hop cartoon. There's not one person now who has kids now that doesn't love hip hop because it's it's more of like such a generate like we, you know, before in the nineties their kids weren't i mean it's just new as well it's very and there's also this weird thing that's like how do you age gracefully in hip-hop i don't want to be fucking dressing like Lil uzi and sounding like Lil uzi a 35 year old trying to be 18 nobody wants to see that right and when it's done bad doesn't that is that not like the most cringeworthy thing when you see it it's horrible but Props to fucking my homeboy, my fucking ex-label mate, but my homie, Killer Mike. Killer Mike, age, I I look at them as, I do have a personal relationship with a lot of these people, but then I look up to them as like, wow, you can be 45, age gracefully. It doesn't feel like you're going to be asked to leave the party. Like, bro, you're in college. Why are you at a high school party type shit? You never want to be that guy. Hip hop is now just being a place where we haven't seen it because this is the first generation of and I'm, I'm removing Dre and Jay-Z, but I'm talking about like the operating MCs who when they grit, when they age gracefully, I look like I, I may not, I probably should vocalize more. I am so inspired by that. Killer Mike having the biggest part of his career right now. Is that not the most inspiring thing in the world? Because he's gone through way more label turmoil than I did, but way more false starts. And if anything wants to like tear your, enthusiasm or love for it is a false start publicly because then you just keep failing publicly and then publicly and you're like oh whatever happened to that guy oh but now him like him and lp having the fucking biggest run of their life at like 45 who the like that is incredible i really admire that black thought still dropping that 10 minute freestyle and funk flex like what two years ago but he looks good he looks like he knows who he is I, I like that Royce. I like that Royce isn't rapping like all the young kids in Detroit that are super offbeat. And like, he's like, well, I got to just compromise who, what I learned. And then to fit in, to be put in the conversation. It's like, 
I have the ability, especially with the internet and Spotify, I'm going to release my music. It's going to be like my music. Come if you want. If you're not, I don't expect a 16 year old to, you know, hip hop is traditionally youth driven. So I'm not going to be the old dude saying, you know, back in my day, but <laughs> I, I like, like these kids don't know in music, you know, everyone said that, but it's, it's something to be said about knowing who, or is a, who you are as an artist. And then also, uh, still doing it like fuck like that alone is like really i don't feel like i'm just too old for it and i missed my boat and i didn't um all this was in vain i guess that's what i say it's not all in vain yeah well you touched on one of my favorite artists royce to five nine as well um yeah, he's, he's gotten he's gotten better with age he definitely has gotten better that's what i'm saying he's gotten for what he it feels like the years of doing it has made him wiser and made him understand hip-hop and understand his sound a lot better he's got obviously relationships with dj premiere and eminem but like it feels like he's really educated in that and other people like method man he's still doing dope freestyles and he's still doing features buster rhymes as well his new album was absolutely phenomenal um and, and the rolling 50 deep freestyle as well um 50 artists on one track, DJ K Slay, oh, and it had Bun B, Ice T was on there, and they're all spitting lines like it's shown that hip hop. Royce's was the best on that. What do you say? I'm sipping adrenochrome when uh, 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 we said I'm licking me and me and Preem, me and Preem are licking cream, me, Preem, and Obama licking cream off of models with Marina Abranovich. Like that, like what, that though, when I was during the QAnon shit. So he was literally rapping like on a sipping the drain of chrome. Me, Prem, and Obama licking cream off of models with Marina Abramovich, the bitch that was like in trouble with all the spirit cooking. And QAnon was like, she's killing people. But the fact that he did that and he capped that off, like, come on. I tell you what, though, I, I put Twister as my number one on that because he killed it. He was phenomenal. But Papoose, I've gone back and listened yeah, yeah, to yeah. his one. And yeah. Joel Ortiz as well. Again, they, they're mates, you know, from Slaughterhouse, but it's crazy to see all these people showing that, you know, age is nothing and that, you know, to be honest, they're just showing that they've learned a lot and that, that, that you can start somewhere and you can actually move and get way better as an artist. You don't have to just, you know, do the same thing that only appeals to, quote, unquote, the young crowd. The youth. Well, the youth, and it's like, who am I to say what is real and what is right you know what i mean like that is such an arrogant ass thing that's like me saying that's why i don't like organized religion because i was like that's pretty arrogant that out of seven thousand gods you think yours is the right one out of all the history it's a very arrogant place to be where you're like real hip-hop is this and you're stupid if you don't like it you know what i mean that's like an insane thing to say because just as much as da vinci was a great artist so was jackson pollock and he just threw shit against fucking like what is art right but there is also something to be said, and I love seeing it. So there's like this catch-22 double-edged sword with everyone being able to record right now. So back in the day, you, you had to be like 18 or 21 or 23. Now people are just making music super young, and it can and it sounds super young, right? Sounds like, whoa. It sounds like if when I was 13 doing recording on cassettes, I'm thank God it never came out, right? But it sounds with the ability now to project it. So it's kind of like muddying the waters. I mean, but when you put them on a song with Royce 5-9 on that 50 MCs, a lot of a lot of the young guys in there, RJ Payne's dope, shout out to him, he is fire. Uh, there's all the young guys there are dope too. Um, uh, 
Was, Benny uh, Butcher was on there, but Bush, but he's my age too. He's yeah. not young. But what I'm saying is a ransom, my age, everyone's my age. They're just now kind of getting their light. But when you, if you were to put that against like one of the new, the new kids that is just dropping, like a blue face, like blue face blew up, and everyone's like, "Yo, you're off beat." And he's like, "Yeah, but I'm getting better, right?" And I'm like, "I mean, yeah, but why are we talking about you right now? I feel like you're in your super demo phase." But that's the old person in me saying, "Why the fuck is this even a part of the conversation?" Learn to rap on beat, but it takes the five, ten years to learn how to like to find out who you are. Then I realized the hating and the hating old guys just like, who cares? Fucking who cares? Because when you put it next to a Royce or a Black Thought or just fucking, I, I mean, two, what, two days ago, Cole dropped. And I'm like, oh, that freestyle on leakers. I'm like, this is why I like rap again. Like, I get it. Like, it's a clear, it's a clear um, gap. So as much, it's almost like there's, there's enough money around here for everyone. The young kids do whatever you want, do the dances. That's always was a thing in hip hop. That's always a thing with the youth. Soldier Boy, all the shit, kid and play. They were 17. You know what I mean? Like, do all that shit too. But then when Cole drops a freestyle in four years and it's like, oh, the amount of double entendres in that one, ver- the first verse, the first beat was like, I get why. Like, you're, you're supposed to be doing this. And I enjoy it again. It made me like, I've listened to that so many times and picked it apart because i can't help but not do that but just like i did when i was 12 or 13 i'm like i I, like that call shit made me feel like fuck i do love this shit (laughs) (laughs) do you know what it is i think there's there is something to be said for a a, an experienced voice and not experienced in the sense of time but experienced in the sense of you lived a lot like i look at people like mob deep and you know I listened to Prodigy's uh, book. Asian IC is so good. I listened to the book though, his audio book. And the shit that he lived was insane. So when he's rapping about him, like you actually lived a lot. It's hard to rap because rap has the bars. Like you have so much, you actually got to feel like when you're singing, you can actually extend everything. But when you're rapping and you're flowing, you have to have a lot of content in there. So it's hard to actually get the, the content that you want to, and then match. to make it quality and not filler bars for that exact point, because there is so much you have, you, you find yourself a lot of filler bars. Like you're just setting up the next two punchlines. You know what I mean? So I feel like part of hip hop and I'm interested to see where this, the trap movement goes like, you know, they're young now and like, you know, they're in their twenties around my age in their twenties now where will they be in another 20 years? That's what I'm interested to see. Will they transition? Yeah, and and forgive my ignorance, like who is trap rappers? Is it Migos? Is that like the the triple and then everyone that kind of raps like that? Yeah, the auto-tune, the the hi-hats. For me, it was like the hi-hat is the giveaway in the beat. Like it's it's almost like the challenge I have with trap music, and this is my own critique with it, is that the beats sound the same. And, you know, the same thing can be said to 90s hip hop. But the thing is, what brings it out is an interesting beat, like an interesting instrument, like chuck in a flute or chuck in like a violin or a trumpet. And all of a sudden the beat is really different. And then I'm fucking with the sound and then I'll listen. But what I hate is generic. And that's why I like when artists such as yourself go and do something different. Give me something different. So like like the whole I know the whole now. But trap wasn't that before that was like uh 
because like the hi hat thing's been around since like three six mafia. Definitely a Memphis sound. Definitely like that. But I think trap became then. That's like fairly new. But then when I wouldn't. That's the thing is like I wouldn't say the baby's trap because that motherfucker is like spitting. Yeah, but I think it's combined with the auto tune and the the you know the it's not content it's not content driven it's sound driven so it's oh, like there's just the, like more modern the mo- more modern esque sound that people are doing is trap music. Yeah, they've taken the hi hat and they've added it with the auto tune and they've added it with. And so they've they've like chucked a parody it on SNL. Every song, like, did you see that with SNL? Like every they, no, uh, with Kid Cudi, Kid Cudi, they did like Kid Cudi, Pete Davidson, and uh, and uh, Chris. Uh, uh, there's a song called "My My Little Flute Song," and it's like because there's always that little flute. But I, I that's I feel like that's only like newer. It's either, the, the, here's the disconnect with me is growing up in Atlanta and Ti came out with the album called Trap Music. You know what I mean? And that was like not the way it's trapped now. I mean, you know, it was just. Well, there's a game was song of, called Born in the Trap, and it's it's well, a different it word. More, well, yeah, it's, it's more of a trap, like on Outcast, you know, and you're just, it's in the trap. That's just it. It's a trap. Now go and marinate on that for a second. Like that would, but that was in Equimini in 97 when they actually said the word trap. But I think now that has morphed into sonically a sound where it takes away from the actual definition of the trap. You know, the trap would be like a, a drug house in a cul-de-sac and it's a trap because it's only one way in, one way out. Like technically that would be, the, yo, we're going to the trap. Well, I mean, that's like, you got to understand that you, there's no back road type thing, but the music of it is the more um, modern day sounding Migos. Migos would probably be, and 21 Savage would be like the most successful, I think, right? Of Travis Scott. Coming in on that say, sound. Travis Scott. Oh, is Travis Scott that too? I didn't see how I wouldn't have said that. Yeah, no, but Travis Scott is to me almost, I think he started down that road and he was almost a pioneer of auto tune, but his beats are so good. Like his ear for beats is unreal. It's just so interesting. Butterfly effect, I can like fall asleep to. Like that shit is just so relaxing. Um, Like, yeah, I mean, the, the great thing about hip hop is that there is so much room for any artist who is unique and is willing to push the boundaries. Like if you want to go for it, go for it. And there will always be someone who's willing to listen. And that's kind of why I love it. Yeah, absolutely, man. But it's kind of dope that you, cause I don't know that Travis Scott album. I know Travis Scott, obviously I know who he is, but I never listened to that song or that album, or I just don't, I think his, his music was just not my generation or I just wasn't checking it. I also can't check for everything. You know, there's a shit ton of music to consume. But with that being said, I'm not ignorant to the fact that I haven't heard sicko mode, obviously. And then uh, um, the one with him and Sci high, uh, the oh, Sci high, another coffee, one, black bean coffee or black, uh, whatever the coffee song was fire. And then I found out, I should have known too, but I didn't hear, I didn't listen to it, but you know, I do have a very, I'm like, like I said, I'm so obsessed with hip hop. I try to find out who wrote it by their, uh, but I can figure out who ghost wrote for people and like uh, by the schemes. And I'm like obsessed with decoding that. And uh, I, but I didn't listen to Travis Scott, but then finding out he wrote all those ones with, and then winning, listening to Sci High to talk about that. And then going back and listening to it, I'm like, oh yeah, this sounds like, I, it's very obvious this the structures like I can tell when Jeezy wrote for Kanye, then I can tell when Rick Ross wrote for Kanye, then I can tell when Sci-High writes for Kanye, and then you know it's very apparent, 
right? Well, like Sci High, we we actually reviewed the Black History Project one and two on this album, and the Black History Project one is how good, amazing, unbelievable. Best. He's like the bet, like he is uh, the epitome of me nerding out for music. Is like that type of content. It's uh, honestly the I think the three track one. I think it was Huey uh, Mandela. And oh, what's the third one? Napoleon. Those three tracks in a row have to be one of the strongest three track runs across any album. Like it's so underrated. I don't understand how, and the production on it sounds studio quality. That's the crazy thing. Like it was just so good. Um, but yeah, do you know what Have it you is? had him on this podcast? No, I haven't. I would love to speak to Saha. I really would. It would be one of those artists that I would just be like, you know, again, like I'm similar to you. I'm a bit of a nerd. Like I like this shit. Like I like all these things and I like those interesting like technical stuff. And like, you know, one of my favorite punchlines ever is from Big L. Um, and it's, uh, what was it? Um, Don't say the Beavis line. Everyone says the that, That's line. what it is. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> I'm, I'm like Beavis, I get nothing but head. <laughs> oh, it's just so good. And Big L, again, in my top five is... Yeah, me too, man. Show of the corn. I love Murder Mace. I love Killer Cam. That whole McGruff, uh, that was the shit that I was like obsessed about was Children of the Corn. I liked Shiny Soup Mace too. You know, uh, I used to be murder. P. Diddy made me pretty. Like, I still love that shit too. But I love old school Killer Cam. I love the Children of the Corn. Fucking recipes. Fucking, I think, yeah, McGruff's passed away now. Bloodshed's passed away. And Big L. R.I.P. Yeah. Man, those that is like my uh, I fucking like. Well, I nerd out over over old school shit like that. Well, I think this actually leads perfectly into the last question and the only right. question I actually plan on the podcast. So um, it's been a great conversation. It, yeah, it's the hardest one actually. It's the hardest right. question though for for someone such as yourself. But if you had to recommend one album, doesn't have to be hip hop. One album that everybody should listen to at least once, get an appreciation of what would it be? Outcast of Glamour. Mate, that was very fast. You're supposed I mean, to be like everybody else and struggle for It's the best. <laughs> uh, it's the best hip-hop album. Um, I'm lucky that my I got a record deal from Big Boy Outcast. If I didn't get a record deal from Big Boy Outcast, my friends who are lawyers, my friends who are accountants, know every single word to Outcast. They're worldwide celebrities like once you win best rap album or no you win album of the year against like nora jones or some shit normally you're just used to like the best rap album but when you do that that sets you in a different category of conversation worldwide but magnify that growing up in fucking atlanta like the uh i put i would put outcast against any single rap group of all time as far as creativity and pushing the bar uh i have such I get chills talking. I got children right now. I get chills talking about Equimini. I will break down how that is the most important rap album from a group. And I and within that conversation, I know I'm biased. I know I'm biased. So it's like I get that as well. But you didn't grow up in Atlanta when Equimini dropped. Like that is like I can't I can't equate that to a feeling. There's very rare feelings. Uh, 50 Cent dropped when the G-Unit and 50 Cent did Get Richard I Trying. There was a feeling in the industry. It was a feeling. When Drake did So Far Gone, there was like a feeling when it's kind of the only thing anyone's ever talking about. And it's genre, it's, uh, genre pushing. Like it is like, it is a, like the hype is real. 
type vibe. When you, if you try to quantize me saying as a society, the hype is real. Eminem's Marshall Mallers LP, Get Richard or Die Trying, but fucking being in Atlanta when Equemini dropped was, uh, it's the best. So that's my answer. Equemini. Everyone should go out and listen to it nonstop. And then it's, you won't skip a song. And then when you do, even the bar when he goes, when Dre's like, uh, if I'm over your head, it's cool. You'll catch on later. Like they they know. Uh, I asked her what she want to be, and she said alive. That made me think for a minute. Look in her eyes, and I like when it's like, what are we gonna be when we grow up? And I asked her, and she said, I want to be alive. I mean, that's talk about fucking that. If that's not poetry that I would put up against like Ernest Hemingway, I could teach a class. Honestly, I could teach a class on that one album, but Outcast alone, I could teach a class on. Do you know what? We might have to come back and do a literally out Outcast review equipment appreciation day. Though. Literally track by track, we just go through, we just rate it, and we just go and one one at a time. Include me in that, and I would love to just even break uh, an Aquemini. Aquemini to me is the epitome of them. Obviously, Stanconia was great. And that's see, the kicker is too, they doubled the amount of sales every album. So they got way big, obviously, on Love Below. You know, they doubled, they, Stanconia sold 5 million. That one sold 10. Like they kept doubling. And that means thus meaning the mass popularity. But I mean, I think Equemini is when they, they started doing a lot of their own production, but they had uh, Southern Playlistic, which is them like 18, but then ATLNs, it was, they were trying to even be sold as the print, the, the pimp and the poet. Like it was kind of like, even the label knew what they were like, but Aquemini is when, dude, the song Aquemini, the, I, I, I never heard in the middle of a song, the beat just completely changed to a different beat. And then, and then um, my mom walks the bands, counts the bands, on the band, Andre Band, welcome to the Lions Den. Like, I never heard that happen on the same song. Well, wait, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Equemini. Uh, we'll do an, a, dude, we should do an Equemini appreciation uh, um, podcast. And I think that will solidify my choice in convincing everyone else that they're the best rap group of all time. Well, I was going to say, because this podcast actually used to be called the Slim Fitty and Biggie Committee. I used to have two co, co-guests and we used to just review hip-hop albums. I, I decided to, to go off on my own, but I might have to do a comeback and bring yeah. in- I'll be a guest host. And I'll bring in him, one of them. He loves our cast as well. So we can cool. do like a, we can get all three of us in the room. He's a nerd. He's been wanting to review an Outcast album for ages anyway for the podcast. So we can bring us all three together and you can replace the the one that's in the UK. But um, man, that, that'd be dope. But um, obviously, Carl Lucas, thank you very much. Appreciate you coming on the show. Fantastic artist um, and, and actor as well. Multi-talented. And if you haven't checked out his stuff, definitely go check it out. Dropped New Disease. I was going to say diseases, but new disease, uh, which dropped recently and, you know, an album coming as well. So um, really exciting things. And is there anything else you want to drop or, or plug? Thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm, I feel great. Uh, I feel very honored. Do you want to talk to me about this stuff? I appreciate it. Um, all my fans, it's been a long ride and I appreciate the patience. So if you're watching this and, and I do have the, um, the habit of disappearing for a, a long time. So I appreciate you just sticking by me. Because, you know, you don't have to. So I appreciate it. So thank you.
Definitely keep sticking by him. You know, you'll you'll it'll pay dividends if I can talk uh, investment speak. But uh, I appreciate you, and and you know this was easy to talk to and uh, awesome having a chat. So we should definitely set up the the outcast uh, a thing for sure. Got you. I got you. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like and subscribe, and follow me on Instagram at the underscore hip hop hustle for all upcoming podcast news. Bye for now.